everybody. How are you? My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors around here at Life Point Church, and I'm so, so glad to see you here. If you're a guest with us today, man, thank you so much for being with us here. It's October. Um, when, I don't know about what it is, but at churches all across the country, when the calendar turns to October, people immediately start thinking, let's do holiday things. And, uh, and so uh, it's, uh, it's a fun time for me. Not really. I don't really love October, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad everybody's uh, in a good mood, good spirits. Are you? Three of you. All right, three of you. That's awesome. Um, Hey, real quick, I know you just heard this on the announcement package, but I just want to reiterate, this Wednesday from 6.30 to 7, we are starting a new rhythm of prayer um, for our church. We're going to be doing this every week. You can kind of come and go if you have time. Um, We just think it's great in the middle of the week, right in the middle of the week, to remind yourself, to remind the enemy uh, who it is that you're serving, who it is that is in control, who's on the throne and who's not on the throne, amen, somebody? And I just think it's a powerful, powerful thing to do. If you can join us, even for just a few moments, you can come and go as you please. We'll be here. Our pastors will be here. If you need prayer, we'll pray with you. Um, but we would love for you to join us. Um, come do that if you, if you can. And, and, we're just, and, and it may, you may forget about it this week, but we're just going to keep doing it every week. Whether there's three people or 30 people or 300, we're going to be here. And we, we, uh, we'd love for you to join us. Um, we're starting a brand, uh, brand new series this week. And so I'm so glad you're here. Um, we're calling this series Legacy. And I'll explain more of that in, in a minute. It's a very um, kind of a pastoral series, meaning... I, um, I want to talk to the folks who call LifePoint home. Um, and and if, you're not, if this isn't home, I want to talk to you as well. But I really, really want to lean into the folks who would say, this is my church and uh, you're my pastor. Um, I'm, uh, and so what I mean by pastoral is that I'm going to challenge folks a little bit. I'm going I'm to get up in your business a little bit. And you're like, oh, great. You always do. But no, I'm going I'm to do it. Um, but I, I want to do it only for one purpose, and that is just to help all of us, um, help myself in the process, God willing, um, to just leave a legacy, um, to make sure that we're living our lives in the best sense of that word, um, and, and so we, we make a difference while we're here on this planet, and, and so that, that, that's legacy. And s- somebody once said that there are two great days in every person's life, and there are more, but there are two for sure great days in everybody's life. And number one, is the day you're born. Can I get an amen on that one? Because you can't have any more kinds of days without that one, for, the, for starters, right? But, but the second great day is the day you realize the reason why you were, on, you were born. Like when you really figured out, oh, here's my purpose. Here's what I'm supposed to do. Here's what I'm going to do to make a difference um, in, in, in the world. And so just as an aside, right after this service, we do a thing called Growth Track. We do it the first Sunday of every month. And it's just, uh, it's something that we've, 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 we've decided to do, and we've been doing it for years now, to help people figure out that question. What, what am I supposed to do here? What am I doing here on the planet? And so it happens right after this service, right over in a room, right over here, and you can walk over there. There are people out there that will walk you over there. Lunch is provided. Uh, Maggiano's today, so that's good. Um, and then childcare is always provided as well, right up there in our Kids Point space. So if, if that's you, man, join us there today. You don't have to have signed up. You can just show up, and it's totally fine. Um, but here's what I want to say. Every single person in this room, myself included, you were created by God, we believe this, and we believe that you were created for God. You were created by God, and you were created for God to make a difference, to leave a legacy on this planet, 
And, and you got to realize, no matter how old you are, what your background story is, what kind of baggage you may be carrying, how you think of yourself is, is, is irrelevant. What we're wanting to say is that every life matters. And every person's life and the time that they spend on this earth, uh, it, it matters. And, and so honestly, we would think that your life will never be fulfilled until you realize, why am I here? Why am I on this planet? Well, God would say you're here to leave a legacy. And so a legacy, and in, 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 in sort of the way I'm thinking about it in terms of this series, is living my life in such a way that my life, my, the, the residual effect of my life lives on after I'm gone. Living my life in a way, attaching my life to things that are bigger than me so that my life lives on after I'm gone. So here, here's one of the key passages for this series. It's found in the book of Psalms. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you got the, the notes when you walked in, right at the pub tables, in case you don't realize that, right when you walk through the, those little entrances, there are uh, little papers, handouts that we have for you. If you have those, look at there. Psalm 112, the psalmist says, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. That's sort of part one of, of the statement that he's going to make. And then he says, and though, good will come to those who conduct their affairs, who live their lives with justice. And in this context, justice means that we're making sure that we're doing the right things as it relates to other people, how we treat other people, the respect that we show other people, that, that, that justice is always about others and those who are downtrodden and those who are being marginalized and those who are being abused in any culture, that we live our lives uh, in the awareness of those people doing the right things to make a difference in their lives. So part one, he says, good will come to those who are generous. So I'm not going to keep everything that comes my way. I'm going to learn how to live my life in a way where it makes a difference, not, not only in terms of my generosity, right? But watch this, but also in the way that I live my life, that I'm going to, he uses the way, conduct my affairs in such a way and I'm going to live in such an intentional way that it makes a difference in the lives of other people. And then this is the idea where legacy comes in, the next verse. Surely the righteous, that's just those who are standing in, who are in right standing with God. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Meaning, no matter what shaking goes on around us in culture, in our world, in the political landscape, I know there's a lot of shaking going on, that the righteous, while everything is shaking, they will stand firm. That's, what he's, that's the promise. And then he says this line, and they will be remembered, how long? Forever. So look at it again. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their, life, their, their affairs, who live their lives with justice. And the righteous will never be shaken, and they will be remembered forever. The goal, of course, isn't that we live forever because nobody can the goal is to leave something behind, however, that will live forever. To live our lives in such a way to be connected to things that make a difference. If we're going to leave a legacy, the psalmist says it will come down to how we live and how we give. How we live and how we give. So then we're going to live our lives in such a way that outlasts us. We're going to connect ourselves to things that are bigger than us. And then we're going to give to things that are bigger than us, that will let outlive and outlast us. So we're shifting gears today. Today I want to talk about money, right? That just sucked all the good joy out of the room, right? 
Now, now here's the good news, especially if you haven't been to church in a long while or if this isn't your church. I don't want anything from you, okay? That's, I just want to get that out of the way. We're not launching an offering campaign today. There's nothing like that's going to happen. This isn't an ask of any, way, of any way, shape, or form. I don't want anything from you. I just want, as a pastor, I want good stuff for you. Right? That, that's the whole point of this. And I don't love talking about money. I'm probably not very good at talking about money, but it is my responsibility as a pastor to teach what the Bible says um, about money. Like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about morality in our series Rumble Strip. We talked about morality, especially as it relates to human sexuality. And, and, and it's, a, it's a funny thing in, in my world as a pastor. And, and if you're in counseling, then you'll know this to be true as well. Or if you're a teacher of college kids and, and they come to you to talk to you, you're going to know that this is true. But, but in my world, um, most of the problems that people bring to, to me to, that they want to talk to a pastor about or, or any of our pastors have to do most of the time with either money troubles or sexuality troubles, right? Like, and, and why is it these two things that come most? Because these are the two things that I would argue have the most potential to wreak havoc in people's lives to create most damage, and it's always a sad thing when you have to help people through that. Not, not sad for us, but that they're having to go through things related to money or things related to, to, to morality. And that's what we talked about. But it's an interesting thing that our culture, and even a lot of Christians nowadays, totally dismiss what the scripture has to say about both things. Like, and it's like, ah, oh, the church just wants our money. So that's why they talk about it. Or, ah, uh, the, the church is, is against sex, right? M- meanwhile, meanwhile, many of the problems that people experience in life have to do with morality and money. And it's the strangest thing because nobody wants to hear what the Bible has to say about it until they're faced with a crisis that they realize I can't handle. And, and, but the Bible has wisdom about both of these things, but a lot of people just don't want to hear about it. But as a pastor, I have to talk about both. And so I did that a couple of weeks ago. And today we're going to talk about money. And I just want to help today to start a conversation, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're dating somebody, whether you're a student in here, maybe this is a conversation you'll have with your family. But I want to start a conversation today about money. So to begin, I want to tell you something that most people are not telling you in our culture. And when I tell you this, after I explain it, you're going to go, you know what? That's completely right. Uh, yeah. But what I want you to know is that nobody's telling you this, but our culture is, in fact, telling you the opposite of what I'm going to say. And here it is. There is a big difference between standard of living and quality of life. There is a big difference between standard of living and quality of life. Now, quality of life has to do with your overall sense of well-being, your overall well-being, whereas standard of living is about how much money you make and how much stuff you have, okay? Just so we understand, quality of living is about the whole thing. You're just whole overall life. Your, your health, your, 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 your happiness, your, your goodness, your relationships, whereas a standard of living just has to do with money and how much we have. But here's the truth. Every single day and almost every single advertisement, you and I are told um, that these two are deeply connected and are really the same. 
that, that if I raise my standard of living, like if I drive a better car, if I wear better clothes, if I go on a better vacation, if I eat out better, if I date better, you know, bigger, better, shinier, upgrade everything I have, that if I do, if I raise the standard of living, that at the same time, I'll raise my quality of life. And that's not true. Okay? M- more stuff, and we've all experienced this, more stuff does not mean better well-being. Right? Now, some of you go, oh, I kind of like new stuff. Yeah? And, it, and it's good for about eight days or ten days, and then it's just that, another thing that's going to get sold at a garage sale sooner or later. Come on, can I get a witness? For like one billionth of the price you paid for it. Am I, am I right on that? I know it says 25 cents, but could you sell it for 10 cents? Are you serious right now? It's a quarter, man. Anyways, it's a, anyways. Here's the truth, though. Peace, which is what, like, when I think of well-being, I think I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with people. I'm at peace with myself. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a byproduct of my portfolio. It's not a byproduct in the first service, I got a lot of more amens on that one. Y'all are slacking on me, man. Come on, help a brother out. I'm kidding. And in fact, in fact, here's the truth. Some of you are not enjoying the quality of your life right now, but your standard of living is higher than it's ever been. That's a truth. That's a fact. You, you, when you had less, you got along better with your family than you do now that you have more. Matter of fact, the more sometimes is the problem in your family. It's causing the most conflict in your family. And, 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 and some of you have more stuff than you've ever had, but you enjoy it less because there is a difference between standard of living and quality of life. And, and here's the truth about it. You can raise your standard of living with credit cards by accruing debt, but you will only raise your quality of life with discipline. That's a fact again. And we're more comfortable as a country, as, as a culture, we're more comfortable with debt than we are with discipline. That's true, isn't it? Right? When, when it comes to your time, let me, let me give you another instance here. When it comes to your time, we all understand there's 24 hours a day, there's 60 seconds in a minute, there's 60 minutes in an hour. We all get time that it's limited, it's finite, and so you have to limit what you do with your time. But when it comes to money, your money is just like time. It's limited too. You only make certain amounts of money. But you don't have to limit how much you spend because of credit and because of a lack of discipline. And so this has huge implications for those of us who would say, hey, I follow Jesus. I trust Jesus with my life. I'm a Christ follower. Because if God loves you the way God says that he loves you, and I believe that he does, which do you think God is most interested in for your life? Your standard of living or your quality of life? Right? Your quality of life. Think about it as a parent. Those of you who are parents, is your biggest dream for your kids that they make a ton of money or that they have wholeness and health and wellness and they're happy and they're, and they're complete in, in what God's done in their lives? Which one do you want best for them? Some of you say, well, I didn't do very well in my finances, my, my portfolio growing up, and now I need to retire, so I need my kids to make a ton of money, right? right but, but in general, right, we would say, yeah, I want, I want them to be happy, man. I want them to be whole. I want them to be well. I want them to do well. Let me ask you this another way. If you're married or if you want to get married, would you rather have an incredible marriage or a lackluster marriage but with cool cars and a big house? Some of you go, what kind of car? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I don't know, right? 
Um, standard of living, got to keep up, got to work harder, got to work longer, got to grind, got to get the latest, greatest, or quality of life, peace, contentment, joy, happiness, togetherness. Which one is most valuable? I'll tell you the truth. When you think in terms of legacy, it's always going to be quality of life. And thinking in terms of legacy may, may lower your standard of living, may lower the amount of stuff that you can buy, but I promise you it's going to raise the quality of your life. And at some point along, the life, along your life, you may not realize it now, and particularly those of you who are young, really young, getting started out, or you're, you're young, you're in college, or you're a student, please hear what I'm going to say today. Look, I, if I'm your pastor, please hear what I'm going to say to you, because someone, so many of us who are in our late 30s and 40s and 50s, we wish somebody would have said this to us so that we didn't get sucked in to, to the culture and, 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 and build debt and, and have this mountain hanging over our heads all the time. At some point along the way, I will tell you this, your quality of life is going to become more important to you than your standard of living. In fact, better to get a handle on this right now than to wait until it's too late or you've, you've saddled yourself in so much trouble. So Solomon the wise speaks to this very dynamic in Proverbs 21, 20. Here's what he says. The wise, people who get it, people who understand it, particularly about money, he says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil because they were agrarian society. They measured their wealth in terms of things like animals, livestock, food, olive oil. If you had a lot, you were well off. If you didn't, you weren't. He says, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise store up. They understand. They, they need margin in their life. They need space in their life. They need to create safety for themselves, right? But fools just eat all that they have. What, what he's saying is that wise people have margin in their financial life. Wise people save for a rainy day, but foolish people spend, consume all that they have. Dave Ramsey, who's one of the, the, the nation's best at this, and we're going to hear from him next week, by the way. Dave Ramsey says that the average American spends 107% of what they make. Did you do the math in your head? Because what I'm saying is we have 100%, but the average American finds a way with credit card debt, consumer spending, to spend 7% more than they make per year. Do the math. Eventually, somewhere along the way, that, has to, that house of cards has to come crashing down, and it does for millions of Americans every year. Because you can't spend more than you make for very long without it coming, the chickens coming home to roost and doing whatever chickens do, which is disgusting if you've ever been in one of their coops. You won't eat eggs. You won't eat eggs again. You're like, somebody washed that with Lysol, but then you can't eat it because it's, well, I, I guess you can. It's what's inside. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now, and I'm going to go back to my notes because that's what happens. Now, what, what Solomon doesn't say is in the house of the wealthy, there, there, there is margin. Or in, in, in that wise people, uh, are, are rather that, um, that I've lost my, my way here. Or in the, in the house of, uh, of a two-household income, there's margin. In the house of those who make six figures, there's margin. He just says it's in the house of the wise. Meaning wherever you're at, wisdom says you got to create margin in your life. You got to create a safety net. That the key to wisdom, the key to the quality of life, the Bible would go on and teach us all throughout, from Old Testament to New Testament, is this is this idea of contentment. Right, learning to be content, and here's how I'll say it: with God's current provision for your life, 
Not what you wish it were, but what it actually is, right? So listen to these beautiful words from Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his friends, this church in Philippi, a town. And he says in verse, chapter 4, verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in, say this with me, in any and every situation, whether well-fed, whether I've got a lot, or hungry, whether I have a little, whether living in plenty or living in want. I, I've learned through all of life's ups and downs because the, 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 the level of, of income goes up and down, a lot of times based on the economy or our jobs, he says, no matter what is happening, I, I have learned to be content, which in our culture is very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. Which is why he includes this next part, this verse 13. Like, we'll take this, ver this verse 13 and pull it out to, to apply to any and every situation, but Paul is applying it to contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hard to be content when things aren't going well. Hard to be content when, when, the, when the flow is not as good as it used to be. But Paul says, I can do all things, including this, through Christ who strengthens me. So this doesn't mean that I never dream about a new house or a new car or whatever. It just means that I'm not going to take my family to the very edge of disaster in order to get it. You following with me right here? That, I, that I, I can stand back here and my level of provision is right here and I'm dreaming for stuff that's out there, but I'm not going to take my family to the edge of disaster where if one wrong thing goes down, we're sunk. I'm going to create space. I'm going to create a shoulder. I'm going to create margin because there's safety in margin. I want to live my life for my family's sake, for my future, for my kids' future. I want to live with safety. I'll dream about that stuff, but until that stuff becomes a reality, I'm not going to force it to be so in my life and eliminate all of my safety nets. You with me so far? Come on, somebody give me a good amen. Because I feel like Eric's going, oh man, he's talking about money. That's how I feel right inside, but it's all right. But here's an obvious truth, ready? We all live on a percentage of our income. Yes or no, right? Yeah, of course, duh, right? But the issue is, is that most Americans don't know what that percentage is. And even those who do, they, don't, they didn't choose that percentage. It kind of chose them by what they spent, what they bought, what they accrued, what they charged. And so we let life dictate to us. But the wise person, Solomon says, chooses what that percentage is going to be. Because if you don't pick one, the mall picks one for you. Amazon picks one for you. Like, you don't even have to go to the mall, right? You can stay in your draws, you know what I'm saying, fellas, and order your clothes to come to your house. Like, I ordered something the other day on Amazon, and it showed up the same day. Praise be to God for Amazon and their ridiculous amount of speed to get the stuff to my house. Can I get a good amen on that? I don't even have to go to Best Buy. This Best Buy comes to me. I love it. But if you don't choose the percentage, the mall does, right? The car dealership does. And I love all of our real estate agents in the house today, but they might do it for you. Come on, somebody, right? So the wise person says, no, 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 no. This is what we're going to live on. This is the way we're going to create margin. Unwise people stick their heads in the sand, close their eyes, hold their breath, cross their fingers. They're doing it all, right? And hope for the best while accruing more and more and more debt. At the root of debt, though, 
is us wanting more than God's provision for us currently, right now, and creating another way, manipulating the system to get it ahead of the time, to get it faster than it. Like, a lot of us who are, like, I'm 40-something years old. My parents, I had stuff in my 20s that it took my parents into their 50s to get. Some of you are teenagers, and you have more than your parents did when they were first married. They were eating ramen noodles and, and warming themselves over candles in their first apartment. Come on, y'all. And you didn't know that story about them, and you think, I, I, I earned this. I, I, I'm entitled to this. No, you didn't. Your parents got you there. Woo, preaching now. I know I get one amen. If I start making fun of the kids for the parents' sake, they'll be like, yeah, I'm with you now. Right? Kids are like, no, boo to you, man. Right? Here's the thing. We, we, the wise person always creates safe space. I can't. I got braces now, and I say F's all weird now, man. It's driving me nuts. I'm just going to hold my hand here until I finish saying this. See how I'm holding my hand here? If this is God's provision level for our lives, meaning this is what God's provided for our lives through our jobs, through our incomes, whatever, then I'm not going to live here. I'm going to live here. There's safety. There's margin there. But some of us think, well, this is what I have, so I'm going to spend all of it, and there's no safety. And that's dangerous. And I'm trying to say to you, this is why we're in so much trouble. This is why our relationships are melting down. Remember, remember, this is not, this is not in any way to, to make fun of anybody who comes to us with this stuff, but this is the stuff that people bring to us over and over and over again. And we will do our best to, to do something about that, but this is a problem in our country. And, I, and I'm saying, hey, let's get a handle on this. So margin plus contentment leads to peace. Write that down. I didn't put that in your notes. Margin plus contentment leads to peace, which is quality of life. Now, what some of, us, some of us do is say, hey, God, you jacked up my provision level. You gave that guy a higher provision level than me, and so I'm going to have to manipulate things to get to that guy's level, and that's why we get debt, and that's why we get in trouble. And that's what debt does for us, right? It seems like it's a tool like, oh, I just use it as a tool. And some people will tell you, oh, debt's a tool. No, it's not. It's a tool meant to drive a hammer through your head. Come on, somebody. That's the kind of, it's a hammer that's smashing you down to, to, to become smaller and less than what you could, you could be. I'm talking about consumer debt, right? Like spending for every little thing that comes along, which all of it ends up in garage sales. Or it gets so bad that you give it away and you put it out beside the Come on, how many of you have done this? You put it out at the curb hoping somebody's going to come by and take it because you don't have a truck to take that piece of junk that you bought for, for on credit three years ago. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good now. <laughs> Only the older people are laughing with me. All the younger people are like, they don't like what you're saying right now. right? When your financial life has no margin because of consumer debt, listen to me, please. You become a kind of slave. You purchased, for most of us, we purchased and borrowed our way. Some of us, just life went bad. Things went bad. Or we lost a job, and we got into some, some, some bad things that were through no fault of our own. But many of us, truth is, we bought our way, we spent our way there, and the banks and the credit cards who did not start their businesses to become our masters have, in fact, become our masters. And consumer spending and consumer debt that's out of control will inevitably lead to a sense of trapped, uh, of slavery, and then eventually, eventually, when things fall apart, uh, to shame. 
and the very culture that took us, that encouraged us to go to the edge, will then shame us when we fall off the edge. That's true. They'll shame us. Can you believe those people went bankrupt? Can you believe those people had their house taken away? Can you believe those people had their car, that some dude showed up in the middle of the night and stole their car from them? Stole their car from them? And they'll make fun of those people. But it's a very, it's a very culture that led you to the edge. And you become a kind of slave, and somebody else becomes a kind of master to you, and they call you, and they send you mail, and you hate them, but you don't even know who them is. And furthermore, they don't know who you are either. You're just a number. And now they've become a kind of, 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 of master to you. And you can't leave a legacy for your children if your finances are in chains. You can't leave a legacy for future generations. And God wants something better for you because Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I believe that, 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 that he was talking about, of course, salvation and our, our spiritual life. But I believe that this is all deeply connected spiritually because the Bible from the Old to the, to the New Testament has so much teaching about money because it's a heart issue. Always has, always will. And this is why Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, but godliness... With contentment is what? It's great gain, man. He uses the word great like it's a big deal. For we brought nothing into the world, and we're not going to take anything out of it. There's no heavenly U-Haul, right, that takes all your junk up there with you, right? But he says if we have food and clothing, if we have the, the, the essentials, we will, we will be content with that. And he says people, verse 9, who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap, and in many, look at this, foolish and what? Harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And you all know people that have been plunged into ruin and destruction as it relates to money. You all know somebody. And some of you, it's been you in times past. For the love of money, not money. Money's not evil. Money's good, right? Praise God for that. Amen, somebody? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, and things, I would add, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with all sorts of griefs. People who were eager to live above their current provision level have pierced themselves with grief. Debt causes grief. Constant financial pressure causes grief. Living beyond our means causes grief to our families and to our marriages. You know this, that the number one cause of divorce is related to money. It causes griefs. People can't even enjoy what they have. They're like Smeagol from the Lord of the Rings. Precious, you know what I'm saying? Can't even enjoy it because they're worried about somebody taking it from them. And they're worried about how they're going to keep it and how they're going to pay for it. Can't even enjoy the boat because you don't know how you're going to pay for the boat. I don't know why I picked boats. I could have picked shoes, lady. I could come after y'all too. Maybe y'all got more shoes than Oprah. I don't know if she has a lot of shoes or not. What's, what's the problem? We've bought into the lie that quality of life, standard of living, same thing. It's not the same thing. We've got the, we bought into the quality of life that the more I raise my standard of living, the more happiness I'll have. Not true. We bought into the lie of our culture because the culture's definition of happiness is more than I currently have. 
That's what the world tells us. Whatever it is you have, it's not good enough. Don't be content. If you drive this car, if you have this house, if you have this kind of clothes, if you have this much money, you'll, you'll be happy. And it's not true. Like, in our culture, most of us have lifestyled our way straight past margin. And it's not an income problem for most of us. It's a heart problem. It, 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 there's something wrong inside of us that we feel like the only way I'm going to ever feel like I'm good enough, that I'm, 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 I'm strong enough, that I'm worthy enough, is if I have enough. But the problem is, is because the problem is, is our income goes up, and most of your incomes have probably been going up recently because our economy is firing on all cylinders. Like, like right now, and I know it's not firing for everybody, but for a lot of people it is. Right? Just go look at the numbers, right? And, and, and the job market is so tight right now, people can't find people to hire anymore because everybody, most everybody's got jobs in our culture. It's just, I just listened to a story on, uh, on the radio this week about how, how Amazon had to raise their, 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 their minimum wage, partially for politics, but, but also because they couldn't find enough people to work this coming Christmas season. Right? Because there's no, no, people don't need jobs right now. And so probably your, your income has started to go up along the way. But you know what's happened as well? Your standard of living just chased right behind it. So if you made 20000 more this year than you did five years ago, probably you're spending 20000 more than you did five years ago. Because that's what we do. That's what our culture teaches us. So how do we create margin? We either have to make more or spend less. You only have control over one of them, though, for most of us. Not just spend less. Most of you don't have control. You can't walk in there tomorrow and go, you know what that guy said yesterday? I need to make more. So you need it. My pastor said it, so you better give it to me or God's going to lightning bolt you. I, try it. See if it, I mean, if it works, man. Don't forget to tithe. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right? That's it, though. It's a hard issue, though. For most of us, it's a hard issue where we don't feel good enough. We don't feel, we don't feel enough. And so we think if, if I get more, it'll make me feel more. But it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. And all of us know that. But we keep thinking maybe it'll change. And it's the definition of insanity because we keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And our country has gone insane when it comes to spending. So has our government. Can I get a good witness? Amen, somebody. I didn't get any man's. Okay, anyways. Um, here's, what the, here's why the Bible has so much to say about money, and I'm almost done. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it always comes back to one simple thing. The reason God in the Bible says so much about money has nothing to do with money. Nothing at all. It has everything to do with your devotion and where your heart is. Jesus says, wherever your heart is, your treasure is going to be right there as well. Whatever you value most, that's where you're going to put your money. That's what Jesus says. And here's what God knows about us um, from the beginning of time till now, that God's chief competition for your heart and for mine, and for my devotion, for your devotion, is not the devil, okay? Right? Most of you are not worshiping the devil. And if you do, that's a different series and probably a different church. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm saying, if you're worshiping the devil. Anyways, um, ain't nobody got time for that, you know? Um, <laughs> kidding. God knows that our ch his chief competition for our heart, for our, our devotion, for our energy, for our time is not the devil. It's always going to be stuff. 
money, the pursuit of more. Um, so here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. Nobody can serve two masters, which we would say, well, I don't have any masters. This is America. We don't, we don't, we're not slave. You know, we don't have slavery, right? Just hang on. Either you will hate the one and love the other. He's, this is Jesus talking. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, you can't have two masters. Now, here's what he says. Here's what he's talking about with the word master. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. That's what he's talking about when he says master. He's talking about money. You can't serve God and serve money. He says there's going to be a tension in your life that you're going to battle all of your life long when it comes to who is going to be the master of your life, who you will tend to place your trust in. That's the way I would, I'd best describe it. And thus be the servant of and thus allow to become your master. Money, pursuit of wealth, the security that it, you think that money brings, the pursuit of whatever that represents for you, or God. God wants them to treat you to treat him as your father because he's a good father and he knows what's best for you and he wants Matter of fact, he demands your undivided attention. He wants your devotion. He wants to be Lord, not over part of your life, but over all of your life. And he knows that the chief competitor for that, for that attention, for that devotion, is going to be stuff and the acquisition and the pursuit of money. That's why the Bible has so much to say about money, but it's not really about money. And the key is so simple. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a prayer that we're going to pray at the end. It's not a, hey, we're going to pass the buckets and everybody throw all of your wallets in there and we'll decide what you're going to give today. No, it's not that. You can, 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 can I get an amen, right? It's not even a one-time decision you make, but it does start with a one-time decision you make. It's a, it's a habit that you develop. And if this is the habit of your life, I think that all the wise people who, who know about money will tell you that this will cause you to leave a legacy as it relates to your money. Here's the key. It's three words. Give save, live. Say it with me now, would you? Give, save, live. And Jesus would teach us in, in the New Testament, it's in that order. It's in, it's in that order. Meaning that you're going to give a certain percentage. You're going to save a certain percentage. Wise people always think, not in terms of how much, how many dollars, they think about percentages. That's what they think. Percentages, percentages, percentage. I'm going to give a certain percentage, I'm going to save a certain percentage, and I'm going to live on the rest of the percentages. I'm going to decide ahead of time. Wise people do this. This is how much I'm going to give to charity, I'm going to give to this local thing, I'm going to give to my church, whatever it is. This is how much of a percentage of my income I'm going to save. And this is how much I'm going to give away. And most people will tell you that the best way to start with this, from, from, from Dave Ramsey to, 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 to wise people, 10%, 10%, 80%. That's a great place to start. And some of you go, there's no way. No, no. Maybe you can't start there. Maybe you start with 3% or 2% and 2% and 96%. Sorry, I had to do my math. I'm not very good at math. Right? But you decide ahead of time and you'll decide as we can. We're going to adjust each of these percentages. We're going to make it where we, where we give more, we save more, and we spend less. But wise people, and listen, as a dad, as I'm, under, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, my, my, I did not learn this growing up. I did not learn this growing up. I learned about giving. My parents were incredible givers. I learned about that, and that served me so, so well. 
but they didn't teach me this this, this this way. And so I'm determined that my kids are going to know, give, save, live. 10, 10, 80. You know why I want my kids to know this? Because I don't want them growing up under a mountain of consumer debt. I don't want them growing up having stuff and money as their idol, their false God. I don't want them putting it in between them and their future kids to the extent that their kids feel like, I'm always having to fight my way through your need for more, Dad. I don't want my kids having to do that. I want them to learn this now. I want them to learn to trust God with what they have. I want them to learn it because that's the best way forward. And this is why Jesus would say, give, save, uh, live in this order. Because he says, chapter 6, same chapter of Matthew 33, but seek first his kingdom. That is his purpose, his will, his deal, and his righteousness, and all these things, all the things that we worry about, all the things that we think we gotta hoard and consume, 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 and the things that we'll, we'll go into debt for, he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all this other stuff that we're so worried about, he says, it will be given to you as well. It will be given to you. It will be a gift to you. It'll be a blessing from the Father because every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from above, from the Father, who is a good good father. That's Jesus's problem, but that's our issue right there, is we don't want to put God first. But if we do, man, if we do, we say, God, I'll trust you with the first and my best, and I'll trust you with the rest. And God blesses the rest. And do you know when people finally figure this stuff out? Most of the time, when they fall flat on their face, when they hit bottom. Dave Ramsey, his story is bankrupt, no money, nothing left. God, what can I do to get out of this? And he learned give, save, live. And it changed his life. And now he's become our guru. Joe Sangle. We've had Joe Sangle here. Joe is one of, is a nationally recognized uh, financial guru, personal financial guru. No money, bankrupt, at the bottom, zero money at all. And he went, I have to try. My way didn't work. I'm going to try it God's way. And they learned this and they become America's financial gurus. They learn this. And I want this as your pastor. Those of you who call me pastor, I want this for you so bad because it's life-changing. And I believe it's generational changing. It's legacy creating. And we want to see our, our, we want our kids to see us model this. So this is just an invitation, not from me, but from, from, from God, to, to reorient the way that we see debt and our finances and, and our money. It's really 101, and it's not about money. It's about our hearts who we trust, what we trust. It's about our undivided attention. And God wants to help us get this right because it, ch- it can change literally everything. Matter of fact, I would say that if we could figure this out, some of y'all's biggest problems in your marriage right now are related to this very thing. You don't have to wave at me. You don't have to say yes. But I, I know from just pure statistical data, I know, I know that many of your biggest fights in your household right now are related to this very thing. I want this for you. I want this to help because some of this will heal your relationships. Some of this will bring kids back into relationship with you that have been driven away because they felt like I'm not going to compete with your need for more anymore. Please know, please know that I love you and I want what's best for you and I want you to get this right because I want you to experience the kind of freedom that getting this part right can have to to leave a a legacy. So give, Save, live.
Give, save, live. And you decide what are those percentages and you make a decision. This is what we're gonna, we're gonna reorient our lives around these principles and we're gonna teach our children and by doing this, we're gonna leave a legacy. Amen, everybody? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so, so very much. God, I know folks get uncomfortable when you talk about politics or when you talk about money. I, I get it, I get it. But Lord, you did not shy away from it. You taught about it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You taught about it. You taught about it because you know the, the havoc, the damage that when we get it wrong, it can wreak on, uh, on lives and on relationships, on, on homes. God, we know, you know, you see what's coming when we, we continue down the paths that some of us are on. You know the net result of that is pain and hurt and shame and, and, and a kind of slavery. And Lord, I, be, I, I believe that you want better for us than that that it is for freedom that you have set us free. And I pray that we would live in that. God, that we would not bristle at the idea that somebody might know something more than us about this particular area. In fact, that we would say, you know what? I need help in this area. And God, we have people right in our own church who are really, really good at this. I'm not necessarily one of them, but we have really good folks that are absolutely would, 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 would help people, would come around them and, and help them think through this stuff. God, that it's not a shame to go seek counsel from, from, from some advisor out there who would help us get this right. But Lord, that you want, you want us to experience freedom. You want us to experience wholeness and, and happiness and joy. That you are deeply, deeply concerned about the quality of our life, not our standard of living. So I just pray your blessings over people as they wrestle with this, as, they, as maybe they have conversations around this, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them help around this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap, amen, somebody? Listen, um, if, if maybe your next right step is to, to find out how do I follow Jesus? How do I give my life to Jesus? How do, I, how do I make him Lord of my life? Then we have at Next Step Central, which is on your right as you walk out, we have a little book called Following Jesus. We would love, love, love to give you that. Um, we also would encourage maybe a next step for you is baptism. Maybe you've, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, but you haven't been baptized as an adult. Maybe you got baptized when you were a little bitty baby, but you don't remember it and you want to experience that. Last week, we had 14 people get baptized right here. Can we give God a hand for that? I mean, it was awesome. It was totally awesome. It was totally awesome. And there were some that were going to get baptized last week, but their families didn't, weren't able to show up. And they're going to get baptized. And we're going to do another one in just a few weeks. Um, and, and we'll do even one for one person if we have to. We'll, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't care how many. We just want you to take that next right step. We also have Growth Track, which is happening right after this service. Maybe that's your next step. You want to get on the team. You want to know more about how to serve. You want to know more about how to uh, make a difference in your world. It's going to happen right over here. You can go out here in the back, and there, some folks will walk you over there. Lunch and child care always provided. We'd love for you to join us with that. Uh, I'm going to ask our ushers to come right now and wait on you. And by the way, we didn't save the offering for last because of what I preach. We do the offering last every week. So no pressure, no pressure, right? You're like, oh, I see what the trick was. That's not how it was at all. God, I pray you bless the offering. Those who are given right now, God, bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Those who can't right now, for whatever reason, bless them as well, God. Lead them and guide them and, and, 
and coach us up, God. We pray blessings over this, that you would multiply it, that, it, that we would do amazing things with it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen. Hey, I just want you to know, when you give at LifePoint, you don't give to LifePoint, you give through LifePoint because what we take is a big portion of what comes into this church and we give it away. Last week, we sent $5,000 on your behalf to Agora, um, uh, which is an amazing ministry uh, in downtown San Antonio who's serving those who are in the margins, particularly the kids and the teenagers. They do amazing things for teenagers who, who don't have after-school programs in a lot of their schools, who get in some trouble because of that. And so they're coming alongside and say, hey, instead of running off and doing crazy stuff, come in here, we'll love on you. They're doing food bank stuff there. They're giving away food. They're doing amazing. And then there's tons and tons of students who are giving their lives to Jesus at Agora, and you're helping that doing. So they're, t- they're taking that $5,000 and they're remodeling their kids' spaces there with that money. They just needed a, that. So you did that. We also sent a, quite, a, quite a big chunk of money uh, to North Carolina uh, through Caravan of Hope when that hurricane came in. I forgot to tell you about that, but you guys sent a ton of money. You might have done it on your own too, but we did it on your behalf as well um, to, to, to help rescue people, to help people whose lives were destroyed in that hurricane. You did that, so thank you. Thank you so much. Couple last things before we um, say goodbye. Um, um, we have our kids in your car, in your chair. There's a little card right there. Everybody's got one that says Bootober. This is just a reminder to the parents that each week there's something fun coming up for the kids all through the month. So you're gonna want to help them with that. Uh, also um, tonight for our students, uh, sixth grade to 12th grade. Um, right here in this room, 6.30, or 6 to 7.30, I think it is. I don't know. Um, somebody will tell you out there. Um, that's bad. I don't know. I just bring my kids and drop them off. Um, Motion is our monthly student gathering, um, like a service, worship music, uh, preaching, teaching, food, fun, and then they have small groups the rest of the weeks. That's happening right here tonight. And then last but not least, our prayer partners are right here. They would love to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever you need prayer for, they love to pray for you. So stand with me real quick. High five somebody. Bump a fist with somebody. Thanks so much for being out here today. God bless you. Have a great, great day. We love you. Thanks so much.